0: You can turn over to Second Peter, Second Peter chapter two. I just want to read these verses again for us, so they're fresh in our mind as we look to the Word of God this morning. Second Peter chapter two, beginning in verse one. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. We began to look at this last week, and uh, just in way of introduction this morning, I just want to remind you that we serve a God who is true. Amen. God is truth uh, time and time again, scripture over and over and over again relates the simple Fact that God is truth. There's no error in him. Uh, the psalmist says it best, I think, in Psalm eighty nine, fourteen, he says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, speaking of God. Loving kindness and truth go before you. Even the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah sixty five sixteen says this He who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth. And he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth. See, if God is not a true God, we don't have anything. Let's just pack our bags and go home and go watch a ball game or something. Our God is true, beloved. That's so important to understand. Even Jesus himself in John fourteen six, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he was incarnate, he said this, I am the way, the truth, right, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And so you have to conclude as a God who is true, he cannot lie. I hope you believe that God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Somebody once said, they asked me, well, don't you think God can do anything? Anything and everything? And I said, absolutely not. What? You don't think God is all powerful? I said, I didn't say that. Well, you don't believe God can do everything. Or anything? And I said, well, there's some things that God cannot do. Just can't do it. God cannot lie. That's one of them. (laughs) And they thought, hmm, that's interesting. Okay. And we see that over and over in the scriptures. Hebrews 6.18 even tells us that it is impossible. Listen, it is impossible for God to lie. So, when God speaks through his revealed word, he always, always speaks truth. There's never a time when God speaks that it's not truthful. So, that leads us to conclude, as we've been studying over the last couple of weeks about the word of God, that it's infallible. The book that we hold in our hands is perfectly revealed to us without error and completely trustworthy in the original manuscripts. And that's so important to understand that this book is a supernatural book. It's not just a book that you go to Barnes & Noble and pick up and and sit down and read for a good read on a Sunday afternoon. This is a living book. The Bible says it's living, it's active. The Bible, like its author, is truth. If God wrote the Bible, which he did through men, as we've looked at in the last couple of weeks, then we understand that if God cannot lie, then he cannot write something that's a lie. That should motivate us, beloved, in light of that, that God wants not only his word to be revealed to others as truth, but he wants his servants to proclaim it and explain the word of God in a truthful way. See, it would be wrong of me to get up here and say, oh, this verse, well, that means that, when it doesn't mean that. And you have a lot of that going on in churches today. There's a lot of teaching that's centered around a certain topic. And so they come up with the topic of the the sermon series, whatever it might be, say it's on money or whatever, and then they go to the computer and they just type in money in their little Google Bible search thing, and it comes up with all these verses, and they just use them, and they put together a nice little talk on money. But none of it's in context. Sometimes they rip verses right out of context. And see, we have to be careful that even though this book is true, because God is true, some people use it in an untruthful way, whether it's on purpose or out of ignorance. Example of that is how many times have you heard in a prayer meeting when you're gathered with a prayer meeting and maybe there's not a lot of people there, just you and a couple other people. Somebody inevitably will say, Lord, you say in your word, wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you are there in the midst. Does the word of God say that? Yes, it does. Is it relating to a prayer meeting in that context in Matthew? No, it's not. Think about it. If Jesus was just there when two or three are gathered, what are you doing when you're home in your prayer closet all by yourself praying to the Lord? Is he not there with you? See, it's kind of a silly illustration, but we hear things said like that all the time. And we have to be careful that when we teach the Word of God and we study the Word of God, that we study it in its context that's why here in this church we teach through books of the bible we just teach through them and once in a while we'll break out and do a little topical thing around the holidays or something like that fourth of july maybe but for the most part we're in a book of the bible and we're trying to understand what the writer is saying to us word by word line by line paragraph by paragraph that's that's how the word of god was written and that's how it needs to be understood We're not to pull things out of context and just apply them in any way we like to. Because when you do that, when it's done in an inaccurate way, the Bible can be manipulated. I can take the Word of God and make you feel guilty if I wanted to this morning. I could make you feel happy. I could make you feel victorious. I could make you feel a lot of different ways just by pulling different verses out and, and, and reading them to you. And saying they mean something that maybe they don't. And so, in light of that, we have to be careful and we have to understand that when we're called to proclaim the word of God in a truthful way, to do anything less than that is to misrepresent the God who wrote the Bible. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in the business of misrepresenting the God who created me. That would be a very serious thing. But when you stop and you think, of the opposite of representing God in a truthful way, you have our enemy, Satan, who's called the father of lies. He's the arch liar. He's the one who is dispelling mistruth all over the place. And he wants us to believe it as truth. See, Satan doesn't come along and say, hey, look at this great lie I fabricated. This is going to get you away from the Lord, and this is going to you know, cause problems and you know he doesn't do that he says hey look at this new truth <laughs> look at what we found over here nobody's ever seen this before in the bible and so you have some guy that comes up with some new truth and writes a whole series and a book and everything and boy you know everybody's flocking to this thing and pretty soon instead of teaching from the word of god they're teaching from somebody's book on a sunday morning what is that about i never understood that we never want to Replace the word of God with the word of man. Amen? It just doesn't work that way. And so Satan, who's the, the arch liar, the, the, our enemy, he, he's out there and his primary goal as the enemy of God is to be deceptive. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says this about Satan. He's blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ Who is the image of God? Do you know that when you go out and you share Christ with somebody who's not a Christian? Maybe they're religious, maybe they've gone to church all their life, doesn't matter, but they're just not a Christian, they've never committed themselves to the lordship of Christ, they've never said that, hey, you know, Jesus is who he said he is, and I I believe in his sacrifice on my behalf, and and I'm going to sacrifice my life for him. I'm going to give my life to Him, whatever He wants me to do, wherever He wants me to go, whatever it is. Because I know that my eternity rests in understanding who Christ is. When we have that kind of a attitude toward God and we come to that realization that, you know what, we can't save ourselves. We can work all we want, we can do all the good works we want, but it's not good enough that in the end... God is going to say, "You know what? What did you do with my son? What did you do with my Son, Jesus Christ?" That's what, that's what the key kind of point is in the gospel. It's not how good you are, how good you think you are, or how religious you are, or how many times you come to church. That doesn't matter. What matters is, what do you do with the work of Christ? What do you do with with what Christ has done for you? And see, you cannot conclude on your own, the Bible says, because the Bible says the natural man doesn't understand the things of God. He can't. It's impossible. So when we go out and we share the gospel with people, don't be discouraged when they say, "Ah, I'm not interested, or I'm not ready, or I'm not this, or I'm not that. So many times, what do we do? We try to talk them into it. We try to try to make them say this, quote, sinner's prayer or whatever we call it. And maybe, just maybe they'd go through the, the antics of saying the prayer just to get rid of this. And then we pat them on the back Well, welcome to the kingdom of God. You're a Christian now. Don't ever question your salvation. We send them on their way. When in fact, they may not even have been saved. And so when we're out sharing the gospel with people, we have to have the mindset that, you know what? They're blinded by the enemy. They're blinded. They can't see the light. And we need to pray that God, through the power of his word and through the power of his spirit, would would allow their eyes to see the truth for the first time. If you're saved here this morning, do you remember back? Can you remember back when you saw the truth for the first time? When someone shared the gospel with you, I bet you if we went around the room and said, how many of you here this morning, the first time somebody shared the gospel with you, you said, yeah, sign me up. I'm ready to go. No, usually that's not the case. Usually it takes a couple times. Usually, you know, it's, it's, it's new information. It's like, what, what's the catch here? You know, you're, you're saying that, that God loves me and that Jesus died for me and that, that he, he, he paid for all my sins. That's great. But what's the catch? There must be a catch. There's no free lunch. And so you hear the gospel over and over and over, and eventually God miraculously quickens your eyes to understand it. He takes the blinders off. And for the first time, you see yourself as a sinful human being before a holy God, and you realize, you know what? There's nothing I can do. I am undone. There's nothing I can do to save myself. I can't go to church more. I can't clean myself up. I can't do anything. I'm standing sinful before a holy God. And the only thing that can help me at that point is Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he paid for you and me. That's what the word of God says. God is sovereign Over everything, including the enemy. And so when we pray for people's salvation, we should be praying that not that they would understand the gospel. It's not up to them to understand the gospel. It's up to God to remove the blinders so that they can understand the gospel. Very important. We don't talk people into the kingdom of God. And so when you stop and you think of sharing the truth of God in a truthful way, and then you have others, the enemy, which is empowered by others, who who basically um, share it in an untruthful way, you have to go back and say, is that lying? Yeah, it is, and God hates all lying. He says that over and over in in Proverbs, especially when you're telling lies about him and his word. James 3.1 says, even warns those who are, you might say, spiritual teachers or spiritual leaders in a church or in a spiritual setting. If you're teaching a Sunday school class, if you're teaching a devotion, if you're you're discipling somebody, whatever, it's not just for elders and pastors, but anybody that has a spiritual influence on anybody else. James 3.1 says, you know what? You better be careful because you're going to be held to a stricter judgment. You're you're going to be held account for basically every word you say when you're in that teaching mode. That's why Sunday mornings is... Somebody asked me one time, is it fun for you to preach? I said, are you kidding me? First of all, it's not my within my personality to be in front of people talking. That's just not what I do very well. So that's I'm uncomfortable with that whole thing. Maybe if you could maybe we should put a a microphone and I'll go downstairs and teach that way. I'd feel a lot more comfortable. I don't know how effective that would be. You'd just hear a voice. But I would feel a lot better about myself. And then you stop and you think of, well, you know, sometimes you, you, you mumble your words or you say this or maybe you misspeak something. That's a very serious thing. Obviously, God's grace covers, you know, he's not going to strike me dead for, you know, misquoting something or whatever. But on the other hand, he holds us to a stricter judgment. And that alone is very unnerving, to be honest with you. To think that the words you're saying are influencing people, hopefully, for the greater good, for the, for the eternal, speaking to the eternality of their soul. I mean, when you stop and you think about that, when you share the Word of God, it has the, the power and the capability to transform the human heart. And so, when you do that, we're called to a certain seriousness about it. And that's what we've been looking at. Last week, we looked at the the sphere of their operation. This is kind of the the modus operandi or the MO of false teachers. Because we want them to understand here that, you know what, there's a certain way that false teachers do things. And if you can recognize the way they do it, maybe you can guard yourself a little bit more about what they're teaching. And the first thing we looked at last week was the sphere of their operation. The sphere of their operation, it says... In verse 1 of chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people. And the people were who? Remember? Israel, right? In the Old Testament. But then he says, just as there will be false teachers among you. Who is who? The church. So false teachers have been around forever. From the Garden of Eden. And so we looked at that and we thought. We, we talked about how there shouldn't be, even be a, a paragraph or a chapter break there. It should read, for no prophecy, at the end of chapter 1 there, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, but (laughs) false prophets also arose among the people. See, what Peter's doing is he's saying, you have the truth, but you know what, there's also a lot of error out there, and you better be discerning, and you better be careful. And it says there that they will be among you, among the church. These aren't people outside the church necessarily. These are people who are within the church, who are teaching in a false way. They're corrupting the word of God. Titus nine says that we should be on guard, that we'll be able to both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict sound doctrine. So they have a sphere they operate in. Also, they have a stealthiness to their operation. They don't come into the church and say, Hey, I'm a false teacher. Let me teach. That's not their, their M.O. That's not what they do. No, they, they kind of, they crawl in, secretly, in stealth. They don't want anybody to know what they're about to do. And it says there in verse 1, Who will secretly introduce destructive heresies they secretly do this they creep in is the idea and they introduce destructive heresies which speaks of that word destructive we talked about it last week but it, just in review it says it talks about the idea of a final and eternal condemnation of the wicked so they're actually introducing teachings that have eternal consequences for some people The word heresies is basically a self-willed opinion. Something that you want to kind of relate yourself. So you read a verse and you say, well, you know what? Th- this is what this means to me. So I'm just going to teach it. That's what it means. How many times have you, been in, have you ever been in a Bible study like this? You have a room full of people, maybe 10 people, and you're all sitting around a circle. And somebody reads a verse. And then you start with the person on your right. Now, what does that mean to you? And that person says, well, that verse means this to me. And they say whatever it means. And then the next, well, what does it mean to you? And the next person says, well, this verse means that. And then you go around the whole circle. And then, well, let's go on to the next verse. It's like, what in the world are you doing? You got like five or ten, you know, opinions out there of what the verse means to them. Who cares what it means to them, frankly? It doesn't matter what it means to you. What it means is what it means. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, Oh, that's your interpretation. Have You ever heard that? You know, you're, you're quoting a verse. And, oh, that's your interpretation. That's not my interpretation. Well, they don't know what the study of hermeneutics is clearly because there's only ever one interpretation of Scripture. One. The Bible says what it says. And it's up to us to study the context, to study the socioeconomic situation. Why is he saying this? Who is saying it? Who is he saying it to? What's the scenario going on here? Is the, is the, 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 the person who's talking, is he mad? Is he happy? Is he glad? You've got to look at all those perspectives, and then you'll understand the context of what the verse is. And that's the interpretation of that verse. There's ever only one interpretation of Scripture, but there's many applications. You know, that verse can mean a million things to a million people. And I'm not saying those are all bad. All I'm saying is, but what does the verse mean? Because if I say it means this to me and you say it means that to you, we got a problem. Because somebody's right and somebody's wrong. And if God is a God of truth and he doesn't lie, it can only mean one thing. So we're held like a cage to the direct revelation of God when it comes to Scripture. We want to kind of just border ourselves in to the Word of God. We want to set our feelings over here. We want to set the applications over here. And we want to come to the Word of God and say, what does this mean? What did the writer intend this to mean? What does this mean? And when you do that, you understand when a false teacher comes in, and they start to teach something that it doesn't say, then all of a sudden you go, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, my, my answer to false teachers is, chapter, verse, show me. If you can show me with what you're saying is true, I'll believe it. If it's in this book, why wouldn't I? And so many times they'll end up on a verse that they're pulling out of a context, or they misinterpreted, or they, they, they have their own little meaning of what it means. But when you understand the Word of God in its context as a whole, you can't help but to step back and go, wow, this is a supernatural book. This is God's gift to us. You have to stop and ask, are we we doing what we should be doing with it? The only time we crack an open Bible is when we come to church on Sunday. and Maybe we don't even do it then. I don't know. This is God's truth to us. And we should be eager to, to want to know and grow and learn more about it. Well, we looked also last week at the sin of operation. I just kind of want to go over this quickly. It says there in verse 1, the sin of operation, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. See, we have to understand that God doesn't take the false teaching of his word Or the false representation of God lightly. He doesn't take it lightly at all. It will be judged. When it will be judged, who knows? Because the next point is there's a success to their operation, right? I mean, you look at these guys on TV who are are blatant false teachers. They're successful at what they're doing. Very successful. They have tons of money. Lear jets all sorts of mansions ever, on every coast, you know, and they get all this money from people. And it's a scheme. It's a scheme. But the sin of their operation is this: they deny the master who bought them. They refuse, they're unwilling, they firmly say no to the lordship of Christ. In other words, they're their own Lord. They're going to make up their own truth. And so when they come to God's word, they pull bits and pieces in this and they say, here, this will work good for this presentation. You know, we'll get more money out of people that way. And they, they put together a talk and man, you know, they write books about their talk and have seminars and all sorts of things. And pretty soon, you know what? The dough's rolling in. They're very good at what they do. But they're unwilling to listen to the master. They're unwilling to allow God to be sovereign over them. That directly refers to Christ here in this this, uh, verse when it talks about the master. The idea that he bought them. We talked about this last week, and I'm not going to go into this whole thing. That word bought means to be redeemed out of the marketplace. But it also has the idea of when a slave was brought into a house, that master bought them. They owned that person. And that slave was part of that household. And so that, for that slave, it was unconscionable for that slave to say, you know what, I'm not going to listen to the master. That master's not going to be my lord. I, it's not going to work that way. I'm going to do what I want to do. That would be, you just wouldn't have that. Because that master, because he bought that slave, and that slave was working for him, he also provided for him. He provided for his family, provided food and shelter and clothes. And so the the picture that's being drawn there is that what these false teachers do is they come in to the master's house, they come into the church, pretending, pretending to adhere to the master's teachings, to listen to Christ, but it's all a ruse because they're really there to sow dissension. They're really there to do their own agenda. They're really there to see if they can maybe take a piece of of the pie, so to speak, and make it their own. That's the idea. And we talked a little bit about last week about how, how who Christ died for when he died on the cross. How some people believe that Christ died for everybody. He died for the whole world and that his atonement was a kind of suggested atonement. It wasn't actual. It doesn't become actual until somebody believes. And we talked all about that, and you can get the tape from last week about that. But it's important to understand that the atonement of Christ, when he hung on the cross, he died for a specific people. He died for those who were chosen before the foundation of the world, the Bible says. We don't know who they are, but God does. Because if God, Christ died for everybody and he paid for everybody's sin, what would happen? Everybody would be in heaven. I mean, if Christ paid for their sin, why wouldn't they be in heaven? It would be wrong for them to be in hell. And so it, we, we talked about that extensively last week. But it says also here not only about the sin of their operation, but also the success of their operation. And we're going to get into the swift destruction here in a little bit, uh, probably next week actually, because it says there that he will bring upon they will bring upon themselves swift swift destruction. Those who don't repent from their, their erroneous teachings, those who continue to do what they want to do. That word swift is the idea of imminent, it's quick, it's going to happen without them even realizing it's coming. Destruction there refers refers to eternal damnation in hell. These people who are false teachers are not going to be saved. They're not going to be saved. They're going to be judged. And yet, so many times you hear a false teacher and you think you're listening to a Christian. You're thinking you're listening to somebody who's exalting Christ. They were they use words like praise the Lord and Hallelujah and God is good, all those things. See, they're painting a picture, but behind the scenes they're they're teaching the doctrines of demons, the Bible says. Things that don't line up with Scripture. Well, why do all these people follow? Why, is there, why are they so successful? Because it says there in verse 2, and many will follow. Many will follow. I mean, you would think that you would kind of catch on to this after a while. The Bible says in Matthew 7 that many more will follow the broad way, right? That leads to destruction than... Follow the narrow way that leads to life. There's a wide road. And credit is due to the false teachers for the popularity of the wide road because they make it look very appealing. As a matter of fact, if you're in a church that teaches any semblance of truth today, you're looked at as narrow-minded, you know, kind of not, not open to other things and all this stuff. Well, you know what? The Word of God is, is rather narrow-minded in a lot of different ways. Jesus was narrow-minded. Remember, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. There's not many roads that lead to God. There's only one, and that's through the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so their message, these false teachers, is a message of independence. It's a message of personal freedom. It's a message of self-exaltation. And who does that appeal to? That appeals to somebody With a human heart. (laughs) I mean, who doesn't want to be independent? Who doesn't want to have personal freedom? Who doesn't want to be exalted in themselves? And so these false teachers would rather give that message out, and they would rather serve themselves than submit to their master, Christ. Remember, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Haunting words. Haunting words. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And it tells the story of people before the Lord saying, but Lord, you know, I've done this. I've healed the sick. I've cast out demons. I've done this. I've done that. And Jesus says, you know what? Depart from me. I never knew you. Ever knew you. People follow these kind of teachers because it appeals to the flesh. It appeals to their felt needs. I mean, who doesn't want a happy family, a happy job, a full wallet, health, wealth, prosperity? Who doesn't want that? I mean, you'd be lying if you said you didn't want that. Those things aren't bad. It's the, it's the prescribed method. They say that you get those things. That's what's bad nothing wrong with being wealthy there's a lot of people who are very wealthy and they bless the kingdom of god and and they bless the people of god nothing wrong with having good health what's wrong is when you put that in place of the master when somehow you think that your words have the power to speak wealth into your life, or to speak health into your life. Pretty soon you're putting your word above the word of God. And that's what those false teachers teach. They teach that there's there's power in declaring truth. That's why they think that they can come into a situation and you hear people pray like this. They'll say prayers like, you know, and Lord, we ask that you would bind Satan. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? You're asking God to bind Satan when, when, when God's word tells us that he's free to roam around? You think you have the power to bind Satan? Because if you do, let me ask you this question. Who, who unbinds him? All you have to do is look around. He's definitely not bound, right? I mean, there's a lot of satanic stuff going on in our culture. And all these people are saying, oh, I'm binding this and I'm binding that and... And, you know, <clears throat> it goes back to understanding Scripture in its context. Satan is very powerful. You don't, you don't have the power to tell Satan what to do. I mean, who do we think we are? As a matter of fact, remember in Job, when Satan went to the Lord and said, well, yeah, your servant Job is serving you because he's got it so easy. And God it speaks of God putting a hedge of protection around Job. It took the sovereignty of God to say, you know what, I'm going to lift that, that hedge of protection for a little bit. Satan, go ahead, he's yours, do whatever you want. And that's exactly what Satan did. You don't see Job casting Satan out or binding Satan when he's going through all his, his issues, No. He knew that somehow God had allowed this in his life. I'm not saying Satan is not a defeated foe. He is in the end. And the power of Christ and the power of his word is how we overcome the power of the devil. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us what to do when we encounter Satan, when we encounter demonic things. You know, I, I think that it's so important that we realize that, you know, sometimes we're called to flee certain situations, not stand and, and declare this or declare that. That's not being defeated. That's being wise. That's doing what Scripture tells us to do. So these people who follow these, these teachers... Are, are enticed to follow them because it, it meets all their needs. Personally, Just just meets makes them feel good. And that's why it's so popular. That's why you can watch a 60 Minutes program and see them condemn some of these false teachers. They have exposés on them all the time. Oh, you know, that one time they uncovered people sending in checks with prayer requests to one of these false teachers and they found out that they took the check out and the money out and they threw the the prayer requests in the dumpster. And they were asking some of these people's followers, you know, don't you think this is wrong? Well, I'm sure it was a mistake. I'm sure that they come up with every excuse and they still send the person money. It's just ridiculous. They're blinded. They have a very successful operation going on. And whenever you speak out against their operation, guess what happens? Well, then, you know, hey, don't touch God's anointed. That's the, 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 the usual reply, you know. There's a lot of people reacting, by the way. John MacArthur's having a, a seminar this fall called Strange Fire. Exposing just what we're talking about. Exposing a lot of the heresies in the charismatic movement. A lot of the wacky stuff that's going on. And this whole seminar deals with exposing that. And even now, these false teachers are starting to respond to this up-and-coming seminar because they're nervous that the truth will get out, what's really going on there. So they're making up all these writing articles and everything against this seminar coming up, saying that it's... it's you know going against God's anointed and they're not accountable to anyone and you know who is he to say this or who is he to say that and you see their their teeth come out and their claws come out when they're threatened in any way because you know what the success of their operation is vital to what they do if they don't have people following them and sending them money it's all for naught Next, you look at the sensuality of their operation because it says many will follow their sensuality. This is very interesting when you study this stuff because sensuality is a very strong word and it has to deal with habitual sexual immorality in an unrestrained fashion. A very uh, kind of sick behavior, debauched behavior. It's using the plural for form there of that noun. And it, it emphasizes these false teachers. Sexual lewdness comes in, in so many different forms and different extremes. You can't even put a finger on it. It's just all over the map. Why is that? Because they rejected the lordship of Christ. And because they rejected the lordship of Christ, they're characterized by unrestrained indulgence in lawlessness. That's what the Bible says happens when you do that. They intentionally refuse to place any restraints on their fleshly desires. I saw a, I think it's a movie, I don't know if it's on TV or a movie, I just saw a little clip of something the other day of a movie. And and I guess the gist of the movie is, is that for I think it's 12 hours or, I don't know, a period of time, say 12 hours, that there's no law. All law is suspended. You can do whatever you want for 12 hours. Can you imagine just for a second what the world would be like if that were ever true? That's kind of what we're talking about here. These people act like there is no law. They don't care. They're above the law. Jude compares their sins to those of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's how bad it is. It says in, in Jude 4, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, who long, who were those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turned the grace of God, look at this, into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them since they, in the same way as they indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. See, Peter agrees with what Jude's saying. If these false teachers, there's a certain sensuality to their, their M.O. And when you stop and you start studying some of these guys who are on TV, the, 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 the known false teachers... You know, the, sexual sin is not too far from the camp. It's just, it's not. It's there. It's among them. And the sad thing is, is usually it's covered up, it's accepted. And people seem so surprised when they find out somebody like Jim Baker, who, who that whole thing blew up, the, that, that whole, whatever it was, PTR or whatever it was, the thing that he was in charge of. Remember, and a, there was homosexuality, drug stuff, all this stuff, and everybody's oh, we never knew. This is just part of the MO. Or the guy in I think it's Colorado, you know, who got found out. He was cocaine and homosexuality, all this stuff, and he was the head of some big denomination. And everybody gets all wow, how could that ever happen? This is how it happens. It's part of their part of their their, their program. It's not too far from the, the camp. You have people like this, this, this uh, uh, guy who's on TV now again, okay? Um, the fire guy is always punching people and doing all the crazy stuff um, on, God, I think it's God TV or whatever it is. But he's down in uh, South Africa now. And he is, he, he's, he's back on TV. He's teaching the same stuff he was teaching before. Um, the only difference is, is, the wife that he had before is no longer his wife. Now he's married to the girl that he had an affair with when all this stuff came out. When he was down in Florida, and they had to close down the crusade because all this big, big scandal was going on. And he went away for a couple of years, and well, now he's back, and people flock to him. It's just crazy. You think why wouldn't people learn? You know, because they're they're deceived. And there's a scar also that's left. By the way they do things. It says, because of them, look at this, the way of the truth will be maligned. The way of the truth. Peter's saying there is a way that's truthful. Don't be deceived by all this garbage that's going on. You know, the sad thing is, is when stuff like this happens in Christianity, people just kind of put us all together. Oh, you're one of those Christians, are you? I, heard, I read about you, you guys in the news. Another sexual scandal, another financial scandal another whatever and they go on and on and on and 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 they just put us all together see the way of the truth refers to right doctrine to the accurate proclamation of the gospel and what happens is because these false teachers come along they basically just leave all this spiritual wreckage behind because they take people into their way and then pretty soon the people realize hey this is a scam you know, I've been to this healing meeting 15 times and I still haven't gotten healed. <laughs> Matter of fact, they won't even let me down front. Sad. The idea there of, of being maligned is blasphemed, slandered, defamed. They defamed the gospel. And it's because of their, their deceptive teaching and their immoral behavior that just goes on. And that's just what Satan wants them to do. That's exactly what Satan wants them to do. They tarnish the church's reputation from the inside and the out, unfortunately. And when unbelievers associate the conduct of these false teachers with the practice of the true church, the name of Christ is just defamed in every way. And to counter this, you have to, to teach pure doctrine. You have to be willing to, to live a righteous life. You know, if, if you want to stand up for Christ, then stand up for Christ. Not just here on Sunday morning, but you know what? At your business on Monday morning. Or with your family on Tuesday night. Or when you're working. Or whatever it is. I mean, that's what we're called to be. We're called to be 24-7 Christians. There's, there's no such thing as a Christian who turns the switch on and off. Either you are, are part of Christ's body or you're not. There's no gray area there. God has made that so clear. And He's made a way for those who are still in the darkness to come to the light. He wants to save you. He gave His only Son. He wants you to yield your heart to a Savior who who loves you and, and cares very much about you. Ask the question, if you died right now, are you sure you would go to heaven? You can be. You can be if you cry out to God and say, God, save me. I know it's not about what I'm doing. It's not about how good I am. I know it's not about how bad I am. If, If you want to save me, God, you can save me. Your word says you can. It just takes me surrendering to you, giving up my way for your way. That's what God wants. He'll take care of everything else. Everything else, take care of itself. He wants your loyalty. He wants you to understand that, you know what? He's the only way for you out of the mess that you're in. He's the only way of forgiving the sin that's in your life. In Philippians, we're told by Paul to prove Yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you will appear as lights in the world. See, the problem is there's so many Christians in the church today that go out into the world, into the darkness, and, and they're not appearing as lights. Maybe they got a little flicker going on here and there, but they're not appearing as lights. See, that word light has the idea that it invades the darkness. When you're working at your job, people look at you and say, there's something different about you. Why aren't you whining and complaining like everybody else? Why do you work harder than everybody else? What what is going on with you? They want to know. See, God wants us to be above reproach he wants us to prove ourselves in this this dark and sinful world because they don't do that the false teachers don't do that next thing here is the scheme of their operation you see it here in verse 3 it says and this kind of exposes it very openly for us bluntly it says and their In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. See, false teachers are not false teachers because they have some um, fascination with false teachings. That's not where it's at with them. They they don't sit down and say, well, let's come up with a new false teaching. No. No. That's not their motivation. Um, They're not even motivated because they're they're rebellious. Or they have a, a, a certain appetite for sexual immorality. That doesn't even really motivate them. What it says here is that these people, these false teachers, they're motivated by an unbridled love for money. That's what it is. They want money and they want more of it. That's that word, greed. It has the idea of this, an uncontrolled, covetous desire for money and wealth. You ever met somebody like that? I've met people like that. They'd give anything to have more money. They'd give anything to have a bigger house. They'd give anything, you know, for, for certain signs of status in their life. They're greedy people. Later in the chapter, in verse 14, Peter describes false teachers as having a heart trained in greed. They don't just have a greedy heart. They're actually trained in greediness. They crave as much money as possible. It's so important that we understand that that is the sign, the telltale tell sign of a false teacher. Is Where are they at when it comes to money? What's their desire? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 and 5, it says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and teaches in teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produces envy, dissension, slander, evil, suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. And then it says this, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. It's a means of gain. It's a paycheck to them. That's all it is. And they're willing to do whatever it is to get your money. I mean, some of the things are kind of crazy. You watch some of these shows, and they, they whip out these trinkets. We have sand from the Holy Land, and we'll send you this little thing of holy sand, and you know you can sprinkle it on your, your, your bedroom floor, so when you get out, you're actually walking on the sand of, 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 of the Holy Land. For $5, you can have this today. Or we have this prayer cloth. Or we have this. Or we have that. I remember one of these guys, he sent me a giant poster of himself one time, Robert Tilton. And he was standing like this on the poster. I mean, it was you. He was a tall guy. He was bigger than me. And the instruction was, you put it on your door of your bedroom or on your refrigerator. And every morning, you get up and you stand in front of Robert Tilton. And you put your hands on his hands. And you receive the blessing. I thought, whoa. Whoa. He'd, be, he'd probably be upset if he found out what we did with that poster. I was a youth pastor at the time. We had a little game of pin the tail on the false teacher. But, you know, greed is what drives these people. And it says to do this, to to obtain their materialistic goals. Here's what they'll do. They'll exploit people with false words. That word exploit, you know what it means? It means to traffic in it. In other words, that's your expertise. To realize gain from something like that. You're exploiting something. They don't want to minister to people. That's not their goal. Their goal is to get rich. They claim to serve people. You know, a lot of times they'll have pictures of little orphanages over in India or South Africa or whatever. And when sixty minutes investigates it, it's nothing there. Nothing. Maybe a shack with a couple poor little orphans in there. And yet they use all these pictures to paint a picture like, well, they're doing this wonderful work. And why? To get your money. To get your money. They claim to serve others, but they're only really interested in serving themselves. And they use false words, it says, to really enrich their own pockets. This is fascinating, that word there for false. In the Greek, it's plastos, which we get the English word plastic from. I mean, it's amazing. Think what the world would be like if we didn't have plastic. I mean, I have a car, a second car, a Saturn. The car is literally plastic. I'm not talking just the bumpers. I mean, I can go up to the door and go, boom, it's a plastic door. It's not metal, it's plastic. It's it's just amazing what they can do with plastic. It gives the impression that it looks like solid steel, but it's not. It's like this archway here. Wow, okay, or this thing. Oh, you look, is that stone? No, it's fake. It's fake. That's the idea. There's a false pretense here there's false words they're not authentic and they share these words for the sheer purpose of deceiving people that's what plastic does it deceives consumers that's what their teachings do they deceive people god's goal is to identify and expose such people And he says there at the end, and we'll close with this. He says, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words as opposed to the true word of God. But then it says this, and we'll get into this next week. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. In other words, even though they're prospering, and even though they're, they're making pretty good for themselves as far as the riches of this world go, don't, don't think for a moment that God has turned his eye. Because you know what? The last time I checked, you don't get away with sin, do you? Sin will find you out. I don't care what it is or where it is or whatever. Sin will find it out, especially, especially when you're one of God's children. If you're one of God's children and you're thinking, oh, you know, this little sinful thing I'm doing over here is not hurting anybody. Don't don't believe that lie. It's simply a lie from Satan. You know, you will be found out. And if you are a Christian, that even brings more shame and and everything into the situation. But even as an unbeliever, you don't get away with your sin. One day you will be judged before a holy God. And Peter makes that very clear. The Holy Spirit makes it clear that false teachers are everywhere. And they've been there since the beginning of history. And Paul I'll close with this verse out of Acts chapter 20, verse 28 to 32. He, he, he's telling the Ephesian elders, a church in Ephesus, he's telling their leaders. Here's what he says. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for the, all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made, your, made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, here's what he says, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves men will arise. Wow. From among your own selves, he says. Men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I command you to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I mean, aren't you glad, aren't you blessed that God protects his own? That God, yeah, the, you got a lot of false teachings out there. You've got a lot of wacky stuff going on today in the name of Christ. But you know what? God has given you the same Holy Spirit. He's given you the same ability to discern spirit truth from error but we have to know the word of God we have to know the truth so that we're not deceived in any way let's close in a word of prayer Father we thank you for this morning and Lord Lord. this is just it's kind of a hard subject to teach on sometimes because you don't want to just be critical of people for critical sake but Lord we're called as ministers of your gospel to point out Error, and to make the body of Christ aware that there is error out there. And Lord, it's not just, it doesn't matter how, when someone's speaking, how they make you feel. Anybody can manipulate somebody's emotions. It's what are they saying? What are they saying? Are they, are they using the Word of God to teach us, to build us up in our faith? Or are they using their own words to somehow manipulate us and make us feel guilty so maybe we'll give them more money? Because that's the, the end game of the false teacher. It's greed. And Lord, we pray this morning, if there's anyone here this morning who is yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, who is yet to be have their eyes open to the glorious gospel of Christ, to be awakened to your truth, Lord, I pray that through the power of your Spirit and through the power of your Word, That you would show them that there is no other way. There's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That his work is sufficient to save us. If we're willing to trust it. And so God we pray that you would help their unbelief. That you would make their hearts willing. That you would take the blinders off their eyes. That you would help them yield themselves to you. Their creator. That they could be like the guy in the New Testament that just beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There's no other way I can be saved. I just ask for your mercy and your grace. For us believers, I pray that we would be discerning in what we support, that we would be wise to your word, that we would understand its truth, so that when error comes along, that we can spot it right away. It's not about being critical of other people. These, these, these people have an agenda. And Lord, we pray that you would even somehow reach them, somehow break through their erroneous teachings to their own heart and show them their need of a Savior as well. And, Father, we thank you. and Lord, we pray for this week coming up. We ask that you would bless our time with the kids as we celebrate Vacation Bible School together. And, and Lord, each night I pray that the kids that come here, that they would hear the truth of your word. And, Lord, I thank you for all the, the helpers and those who are gifted in these areas that are willing to spend time with these children who are coming. And, Father, we pray that you would uh, uh, just work in a supernatural way this week, that everything would come together, and, Lord, that you would be blessed and exalted in this place. And we thank you and we we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.